Hi everybody, it's Rich. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> Hi everybody, it's Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Sunday Seafried, who is the CEO of Safe Harbor Financials. Welcome aboard, Sunday. Um, thank you. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah. So you know, Sunday, a Safe Harbor's. Um, you've recently gone through a SPAC, but you've been around since 2015 and have helped manage about 15, uh, 12 billion dollars in uh, cannabis transactions over the last seven years. That's quite the rise in the organization, quite the story. Um, what led you into the cannabis space? Oh, wow. Good question. And it's uh, been a long time, but just to you know, add to that, we actually have just crossed $14 billion in the last couple of months. And if we it's take- quite the acceleration. Yeah. If we look at the, la- the next competitor who's doing this, I, I was looking at it yesterday, just out of curiosity myself, they, they claim about $3.3 billion. So that will tell you kind of the size of the program that we've been able to uh, put together. And a lot of that was because I think we did it in the right way. And, and when I say the right way, the motive was there from the credit union to right. promote community safety. Right, get the money off the streets, and Colorado was thriving in cannabis, and nobody would take that money in. And and once I and the board learned how dangerous we were living, yep. with, you know, home invasions. I, and I literally have heard from law enforcement, home invasions have been down since cannabis has been banked. So right. there was no benefit to it, and that motive really drove us to do the right thing and to really provide services. But when we met the owners. Uh-huh. At that point in time, it was a done deal for me. I didn't care how hard I had to work to put this program together. They were real people with real problems and professionals. They knew what they were doing. They were they were not coming above the radar easily, but they wanted just a reliable bank account. And that's where we started. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's glaringly obvious to anybody in business, but it's so surprising also that Banking continues to be an issue for people in the cannabis industry. And, you know, there's state by state issues. And of course, cross, cross state issues is a different issue. Um, then any company that's operating internationally has additional challenges to, to overcome. But just dealing with it and one state to start and Colorado, of course, took a big lead in the U.S. on that perspective. What are the things that you still would like to tackle? And, you know, everybody's looking for the Safe Banking Act, but there's in between now and then, there's a lot of challenges to be overcome. What do you look as being the next big hurdle? Interestingly enough, when the industry complains that there isn't banking, Uh I, I have to separate that between depository services and access to capital. Uh I think when they're really complaining, they're complaining about access to reasonable bank capital, right? Getting the debt financing that they need to expand their business like every other normal business. Because I believe there are sufficient number of financial institutions. The problem is they don't like the fees associated with the programs that they sign up. And that's driven specifically because of the fact that the businesses are so complex and there's a black market history and we have to protect the financial system from any illicit dollar getting into it. And Uh that that costs money. You consider we file a thousand reports a month manually. That doesn't come cheap when you put the labor on that. So I really think it's the access to capital 
that they're complaining about. And I can't blame them because, you know, they're averaging 18 to 30 percent out there in terms of rate. And we, you know, it, that's the big thing we're tackling at this point in time, access to capital. And we're trying to offer reasonable rates anywhere from 8 percent to 13 percent, depending on the collateral backing it. And, and I think that's what's going to normalize uh, the banking industry for them. And then by actually launching lending and, and, and if we were to go into payment processing and courier services and, and bring <laughs> vertical integration together with what we're doing at Safe Harbor, those things will allow us to move into really good relationship pricing for our clients and right. full one stop. So that's what we're really working on at this point in time. You know, and you mentioned in there the access to capital and, Cannabis is always referred to as a, an industry with a lot of hair, and SPACs are, you know, also used for companies that are in industries with a lot of hair. And, um, you know, I, I looked at going through that process myself a couple of years ago. You just came through it. What made you choose the SPAC route versus a uh, different form of listing? Yeah. Well, let's just say I was naive when I went into it. <laughs> <laughs> It is a different process. <laughs> I had no idea, but you know, it was, um, we really had in 2017, the board and I sat down and we really knew at that point in time, we had to do something to take this out from under the credit union because it was just getting too big. Right. It was dominating credit union operations and strategy. And therefore the credit union had a hard time moving forward. So I told the board, I said, either we go to, to something different here, uh -huh. move this forward, or we can die amongst competition entering the market. Right. So SPACs were not our first consideration. And in fact, I would say that the first time we heard about SPACs at the credit union, the board and I were kind of standing back because it was complex. It was uh -huh. complex. It is. So we weren't really comfortable with that. So we really started looking at private equity deals first, and we entertained a couple of those. We went through those processes, understood. And then we continued to educate ourselves on SPACs during the process because they would show up. But I have to say our sponsor group, Luminous, uh -huh. is the one who walked us through the process, holding our hands, explaining every detail, and helping us understand how that was going to work. And I think because they knew cannabis, they were right. actually, just just a side note, they were actually clients of Safe Harbor way back when. Oh, that's ironic. It is. It was kind of funny. And it was great to know because we didn't have to explain our business model. Right. We didn't have to explain the need. They understood the need for cannabis financial services, which really made the process go through much smoother because we weren't having to first educate and sell cannabis. We were, we were educating and selling the concept of a, a one-stop financial service provider. And I think that's, it was so, the decision wasn't SPAC or private equity. The decision was comfort for everybody that was going to move the transaction forward. And Luminous brought that comfort to the table for us. And that, that's incredibly important in dealing with a SPAC transaction is the, the manager, because in you know, in Canada, it's a bit different than the U.S. In Canada, once you've committed your money to the SPAC, you can't withdraw it along the way based on the transaction. But in the U.S., the investors have the chance to say yay or nay and opt out. Um, the manager is the one who really holds it together and makes sure that as much or all of the capital that's there arrives in your deal. Um, 
That's a big challenge for a lot of the people who go through the SPAC process. Did you deal with many firms in looking at it and ended up with Luminous or really did they give you the comfort right off the bat because you had a prior relationship with them? I think we actually interviewed three SPACs mm-hmm. and their actual you know, history with Safe Harbor and their intimate knowledge of the industry and they just have a solid character of doing things the right way. So if you're talking to a banker, like I've been a banker since 1983 Mm -hmm. and you're not talking compliance and you're not talking regulations, you're not going to get to the heart of the matter for me and understand how we do things because we want to normalize it, but what we also want to protect the financial system here. And Mm -hmm. they understood that. And again, a lot of the cannabis industry does understand regulations because they're so tightly tied to regulations as well. So I would say that that was the first time we talked to a SPAC that really understood cannabis and really understood compliance and doing it the right way. That was important to them as much as it was to me and my board. Compliance is such an important issue and it's, you know, people can start their businesses with the right processes in place or they can pull their hair out trying to to catch up later and undo the spaghetti that's there. And I, I I always shake my head when I come across a group that just hasn't spent that little bit extra time at the start putting in place proper processes around that. Sunday, we do have to take a short break, but we'll be back in a minute on The Green Peak with Sunday Seafried from Safe Harbor Financials. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on the Green Peak with Sunday Seafried from Safe Harbor Financials. And Sunday, you know, we were talking about the SPAC process and some of the compliance issues, but you mentioned also, you know, your experience in banking prior and that gave you the insights. And there's been, you know, I came out of the technology industry and specifically, originally I was in web analytics and a lot of digital marketing space and it was heavily male dominated and eventually it became much more balanced. The cannabis industry has been more balanced sooner, but not in every area. And it depends, you know, regionally it's different, but it's still male dominated overwhelmingly. How have you found it as uh, developing through, going through the process and building your business? And what are you seeing with regards to female entrepreneurs? Because generally I find they're really the most cutting edge and efficient. Wow. You know, at first going in, being in the finance world itself, Uh it's always been male dominated. So women, we've been dealing with this for a very long time. You know, your largest financial institutions are all run by men. I did what a hundred investor presentations in the last year. And I think I had women on two, two of those calls. (laughs) (laughs) I was always happy to have women to speak to and and actually do the pitch, but yeah. in finance. And, and so I've been, you know, 38 years plus in, in that same marketplace, but it's never held me back. And, you know, and I don't know that that's always worked in my favor in terms of just, you know, going against the norm there, but hasn't worked against me, obviously, at this point. As far as cannabis is concerned, I had heard that right from the very beginning, too, that there were more females and I think that there were in the beginning, I think not not majority wise, but there were more females involved in the business. And, and what I found I- a lot more in the, uh, sorry to speak over, but in the final brand, the um, 
a lot, of course, in the cosmetic skincare side, there's been a heavily influenced, but a lot of the brand-related companies um, are female-led. Some of the extraction companies and the like, but a lot of the brand, which is the consumer-facing side. Yeah, and I think that's because you know, I think women relate more to their consumers. I think uh-huh. we, you know, just like we're more family in tuned, or you know, used to be those stereotypes were there. I think, I think that, and then the mom and pops. Uh-huh. You know, you had to have mom on board to get a mom and pop in cannabis. Let's put it that that's way. true. <laughs> <laughs> so I found a lot of you know uh, husbands and wives that were the wife was actually the dominant player and and kind of moving this forward and 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 a lot of that has to do with the way I think we reason through things uh-huh. and, and because it all started in the medicinal area. I think we have big hearts when it comes to, you know, hearing those stories about the kids, right? Uh-huh. We didn't help. When, when I saw, you know, the very first client I spoke with, and they were talking about going to the ATMs in the middle of the night and bundling their two children up. In- <laughs> I mean, that was it for me. I said, this is not right for your family. This is not right for the kids, right? Those no. things I think that attract women to an industry. What I have seen now, though, uh-huh as the market has emerged is we're getting much more sophisticated um, players in the industry. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot more men who are starting to dominate the industry at this point in time. Yeah. I, um, I think that's true. I mean, I've always found, you know, most of my people I've worked with who have been phenomenal on the business development side have been women. They've been much more empathic with the customer and understanding what the customer needs, but also the best, some of the best questions I've had from analysts as I was going through the public process and through looking at the banks has, have been, you know, some of the analysts have, have been ladies. Uh, one of the best persons, uh, best questions actually came from a young lady called Laura Feinlab at uh, Bank of America years ago. Uh, con- completely different perceptive uh, perspective that was phenomenal in uh, causing me to stop and think about things I hadn't looked at prior. It was wonderful. So, you know, taking a look at all of that, though, you're you're right. I mean, when families are starting to be impacted and people aren't thinking of it in that way and you're offering, you know, the safe harbor name, of course, is bringing safety to the families as well. And that's, was that an intentional decision as far as the naming of the company or did it just happen to come together that way? It was funny because I had a different name picked right from the very beginning. And, and I was laying it out on, you know, I was doing some drawings for the office and, and I, I, I put the name on that location. I'm like, oh, you can't, you can't use that word because that's just, that's, that's just setting up a target in the office. So I went to lunch one day with one of my employees and I said, we've got to find a new name here. And, you know, we went through everything and I wanted something that was rock solid. I wanted something that they could rely on. And I, you know, all of a sudden it hits me. Every time I turned around, legal counsel was telling me there's no safe harbor in this process. There's no right. safe harbor. <laughs> <laughs> And that is exactly how we landed on Safe Harbor. And I remember calling the regulator after that. And I said, well, there's a Safe Harbor now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and he actually appreciated the fact. And not only that, the cannabis clients coming in for the interview, they just thought they thought it was hilarious, but they really understood it. And then people who were trying to compete with us, they didn't like it because 
it was probably a good name. It was a good name that everybody was using to describe the problem. So immediately you were the solution and just shows you were listening. Yeah. And right. I would say, you know, I, I've said on several of the investor pitches that I've done that my brilliance wasn't in building this whole program. My brilliance was in following the industry, uh -huh. what they needed, listening to what they needed, designing solutions and pushing our envelope of risk. Right. There was no playbook, right? You had to get out there. So the only thing we could do is push the envelope and then deal with law enforcement or the powers to be like the Federal Reserve and be as transparent as possible to build their comfort. And that worked because, again, everybody wanted the money banked. They yes. just wanted it done safely and right. Yeah. And, you know, banking banking's a bane in anybody in this industry's uh, side today because, you know, it's, it's fine if you're operating in one jurisdiction. But as soon as you're operating in multiple ones or internationally, moving funds around is a, is a nightmare. And, you know, the banks, the traditional banks, the compliance hoops that a lot of them ask for are far in excess of what we deal with in anything else. I've been shocked many times what has been asked for. But, you know, some of that deals with communications and lack of understanding on the part of both parties, um, the bank and the business operator. And some of it deals with, you know, just actual challenges in, from a regulatory perspective. As you operate and grow your business state to state, how do you address the communications differences between the regulators as you grow and it's helping the businesses adjust to each market? There's an interesting conflict between what's real and mm -hmm. what people think we must be doing on the banking side. Right. I have to say that, you know, we went through 16 federal and state examinations under Partner Colorado Credit Union. And one right. of the main things we did with regulators was interpret guidance, right? Uh -huh. They would say, well, this is what you should do. And I would say, well, if we do that, this isn't going to work. And to give you an example, because it has to do with state regulations surrounding cannabis, uh -huh. be different in every state, but there's kind of a similar format, but different in every state. Now, the state, the, the FinCEN guidance says we can serve and bank anybody who's compliant with the state and has a license issued by the state. The state, and we can rely on the state. The uh -huh. state is responsible for state regulations, and uh -huh. we are responsible for the money. So uh, right in the very beginning, one of our financial regulators said, you need to go out and you need to rate the safety and security of all of the uh, dispensaries that you bank. And there were like 200 on our books. And I said, <laughs> I said, you just killed the program because if I send my bankers out there rating dispensaries and their security, uh -huh. their eyes are off the money. And our job is the money. So we rely on the state. And uh -huh. yes, we have to be somewhat familiar with the state if there are different little details as it pertains to banking. Right. But that's what we're looking for, the banking details in the regulations. The state is responsible to issue those licenses and manage and monitor those licenses. Oh, no, no, of course. Um, just as you go state by state, you still have to deal with their the various interpretations of how they deal with the banking issues specifically. And that can be a horrible minefield for a business that's trying to become a multi-state operator. Actually, um, we, we, we do have several multi-state operators and we make it pretty simple for them. That's and, good. And yeah, nothing's, no, I should, I should, for nothing is <laughs> simple or easy in cannabis, right? I think exactly. that was, yeah. <laughs> so, that's right? a given. 
<laughs> so, but we can bank them in every one of their states, and they actually like the fact that they have one banker um, managing all of their state accounts. So we do have to have a separate state account because the regulations are different in each state. Right. But the fact is, they can still have one banker, and um, the banking isn't that different for. Right. Where I will say that it is very difficult and very different are Puerto Rico, Guam, Uh Alaska, Hawaii. Right. That's because you can't get the money, the cash off the islands. And that's where it gets very difficult. Or as you mentioned, one of the big fears and concerns is dealing with international payments. Now, we Uh were definitely, I believe, the first to start taking money in from Canada when they started doing all those reverse merger transactions huh? on the securities exchange there. Uh-huh. Nobody would touch it. And and I'm like, but our clients need it. They were calling us every month and they were doing these mergers. And I said, oh, I said, we got to figure this out. So again, we went to the, to the AGs uh-huh. and we said, the money's coming in. It's going to get into the country one way or another. We want to do it in a transparent way. And then they even stepped in and wrote a letter to our regulators saying they understood what we were doing. Again, no, there was no playbook, right? But somebody had to push the envelope and set the standard. Yeah, and I know how tough that is. I've had to set up some international banking systems to transfer funds between countries and multiple jurisdictions. And once you've done it once, you understand it. But getting to that point can be a nightmare for companies and it's a mountain to climb. Sandy, we do have to take one more short break. But we'll be back in a moment with Sunday Seafried from Safe Harbor Financials on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Sunday Seafried from Safe Harbor Financials. And one other thing that struck me as I was uh, preparing for this uh, Sunday was, of course, with the name Safe Harbor and everybody's looking to the Safe Banking Act. That is going to change the industry for you and for so many other participants. How will you adjust or how do you plan for it today? Knowing, you know, everybody talks about it being around the corner, but the odds are it's not happening for quite a while yet. I have been working with, I worked with Senator Crapo's office and actually drafting some language. And I've worked with Perlmutter uh, uh-huh. over the years. He's been one of my biggest supporters. So, you know, I've been heavily involved in, you know, trying to work and get things passed. Safe banking won't change much no. for financial institutions. Uh-huh. You know, for the last eight years, the feds could come in and prosecute me and my board members and officers for banking cannabis and being money launderers, right? Uh-huh. As we learned, as we filed reports, they learned, they knew things were being protected. Is the money better banked or unbanked? Better banked for uh-huh. everybody concerned. And I think they saw that. Safe banking will only take away that one risk, but it may also um, you know, prevent us from being excluded. Like the Federal Reserve is still a don't ask, don't tell situation. Right. They know we're processing cannabis funds. I wrote a book, put it out there, transparent. Uh-huh. Right? But they, if you were to go directly to the Fed and say, we're going to process cannabis funds through the Fed, you're going to get a no because they have to say no. They don't have a choice. So I think that will also be addressed in safe banking so that you're not actually worried about being excluded from the financial systems out there. Same with insurance. You, it's difficult to get insurance where uh-huh. there's no exclusion for something federally illegal. It's taken six or seven years, but they're finally starting to offer those where cannabis is, ex- is excluded from those federal illegal activities. 
What I like to tell people is, first of all, we've got a black market operating in plain sight out there. Absolutely. They are building their own grow facilities amongst everybody else and Uh get caught. So when you consider the black market history and Uh the black market present, the industry is still going to be considered a very high risk industry for anybody to bank. I like to liken it to money service businesses, casinos, uh-huh. liquor stores, so check cashing, check cashers. <laughs> right? These are the these are the types of companies that don't get bank accounts easily and that are highly scrutinized, and you pay higher fees. And right. the same is going to be for cannabis in the long term, because you know, take a look at just just liquor stores and alcohol, and that's been legal for how long? but they still worry about the cash intensive nature. And so people say, well, as soon as MasterCard Visa get in, it's all going away. But that's not true. Uh, My husband still takes out cash to pay for alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Right? People don't want certain things on their bank statements. They don't want it on their cards. So there's there's always going to be a cash intensive nature, I think, for cannabis, maybe until, you know, Generation ZZ comes up and nothing is nothing is cash anymore and cash is gone. Yeah, no, I mean, there's that. But and then, of course, on the other side, with safe banking, it opens the door to new participants coming in to uh, to provide financing and to invest. You know, it, it would change, of course, some of the hedge funds, investment banks being able to participate, which goes back to the access to financing you were speaking about earlier. How do you push, position yourself vis-a-vis all of that? Do you look at your organization becoming a a gateway on behalf of them to help manage, or do you look at it as they're going to come in through other channels and it's new competition? I would say um, we're looking at it in two ways. One is, you know, we have a pretty robust M&A strategy. You right. know, a lot of them have specialized, like we have specialized in depository services, but mm-hmm. we've got lenders who just who have specialized in equipment lending. Yep. And we're not doing a lot of equipment lending. So in our, our opinion, there's going to be consolidation from some, some of these single service providers. So we're going to, you know, we, you know the, the most important thing for us is to build that depository base of clients that we can serve and then provide them that lending access and the access to capital to have a real sticky relationship. And because we feel we're the price leader, not only on depository services, we'll be able to have that experience even more so and have the relationship pricing between depository services and broker services and insurance services that we can drive the pricing down on lending. And in fact, our projections that we submitted to the SEC did in fact lower our rate year over year over year. Hmm. That's fantastic. Um, you know, as as we have to leave and you know end the show for today, one of the things, of course, that everybody um has challenges with banks and is, a, you know, is a great opportunity. And you've done a really great job of, from what I understand, is people generally find banks are unresponsive, but you're known to be the opposite. And it's a, a need for the industry because of all the, as we go back to the hair in the industry. Um, that's been fantastic. Now, people who want to learn more about how to deal with your organization to get responses, to figure out some of the compliance issues, and to find a great place to bank. How do they reach out to you? Well, we do have a website. It's um, safe, 
Safe Harbor. (laughs) (laughs) Is it shfinancial.org or am I looking at the wrong one? (laughs) (laughs) Shfinancial.org, yes. (laughs) <laughs> oh dear, you know, can tell I don't go out and advertise too much. But you know, I have to just comment on the fact that we set up a private banking um solution mm-hmm. for that very reason to help them manage through every step of the way and help right. keep them safe and help keep the longevity and uh, reliability of banking services. So um and th- and that comes a lot out of the the credit union service right. philosophy. So we've we're going to maintain that. That's good, because the credit unions are generally known to be much closer to their customer. Sunday, I'd like to thank you for joining us on The Green Peak this week. Um, For people who want to learn more, obviously, they can go to shfinancial.org. Any other way that you uh, like them to learn about you and the organization? Well, we do have a a LinkedIn for Safe Harbor, and I have one myself in case they want to reach out to me directly. But we're looking at all channels and and, uh, being responsive as much as we can. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us this week on The Green Peak. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again with you next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.